1 John chapter 5, and I'm going to begin read. We're going to look at verses 14 and 15, but I want to just uh, read starting at verse 13, because verse 13 reminds us of the purpose of why the Apostle John, remember it's the Apostle John, not John the Baptist, but the Apostle John who wrote 1 John, and he's writing to Christians, he's writing to believers. The uh, book we call the Gospel According to John, that was written intentionally for non-believers to demonstrate and show that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. But 1 John is a pastoral letter that John writes to Christians. So just pick it up with me, 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse 13 through 15. John writes, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So there you go. See, right there you know who his audience is. And that's important because as you read and you see things, and you have to keep in mind who's he writing to, all right? So, I'm writing these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you would have assurance, that you would have confidence that you have eternal life, that you are a Christian, that you're a follower of Christ. Verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request. We know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. Let's pray. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart today be pleasing in Your sight. Lord, give us attentive minds to listen, Lord, as we hear the uh, scriptures, the, the will of God, the word of God, Lord, help us to be encouraged today in our assurance of our faith. And if there is anyone here today that, Lord, is not a believer in Jesus Christ, they're not a follower of Christ, Lord, our prayers that your Holy Spirit would use the word today with the Spirit, God, to bring, Lord, and draw them, Lord, to yourself, to Give them the conviction, God, that they need Jesus Christ in their life. They don't need religion. They need a relationship with Jesus. And Lord, that's our prayer today as we worship you through the word and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, Paul, or Paul, (laughs) how about John? John, John, (laughs) John is going to, uh, he wants to encourage us. Remember, this is part of the assurance confidence. He's wanting us to have confidence that we belong to God. And so part of the, one, the way that he's rounding out this letter is to encourage believers in the assurance that when we pray, God hears us. Now let's be honest. Sometimes we question, does God really hear us? You know, is God even paying attention to us? And John says, no, as part of God's family, in Christ, He hears us. And that's a repeated promise that Jesus gave over and over again. I'll give you just a few examples in Mark. Um, Jesus said, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done. 
Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. John 14, verse 13 through 14. Whatever you ask, Jesus says, in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. There should be evidence of your faith so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So the assurance, the assurance that we're talking about this morning, the believer's assurance in prayer is based on the fact that we have a relationship with Christ. We have a relationship with Christ. And so, as we saw in our passage, to pray according to the will of God, if you are not in relationship with Christ, you are out of the will of God. It's God's will and desire that you would be in fellowship with Him, that you would have a relationship with Him. And so, you cannot pray. A lot of people may say, well, I pray, but if you're not a believer, you can't pray in the will of God. And so, one of the, the way that you are in the will of God, according to the Word of God, is that you're in Christ. And so that's why, again, this is part of the assurance that God gives believers. He's wanting to have confidence. And again, all of us here, if you're a Christian, all of us at times struggle with assurance of whether I'm a believer. Am I really a Christian? Because if I was a Christian, I wouldn't have run that red light. If I was a Christian, whatever you want to put on it, I would feel like going to church more than once a month. Hello? If I'm a Christian and just add on whatever it is you want to add on, well, the assurance isn't thankfully based on how I feel. Because have you ever gone to work when you didn't feel like going to work? You didn't just jump up and click your heels and whoop de doo let's go to work. And, but, and today, you're, you're like walking in the den, you're going to work. So, but, but in the day, when you had to get in the car, and you couldn't, you know, do Zoom calls in your pajamas and that kind of stuff, you know, you went to work, not because you felt like it, right? Because it was a, it was a responsibility. You kind of like that thing they give you a couple of times a month, you know, every two weeks. You, you got used to that. And so, uh, this may shock you, but sometimes as a pastor, I don't always feel like coming to church and standing up here. You know what I sometimes feel like doing? I feel like sitting where you are and say, hey, somebody feed me today. But you see, that's my responsibility. And the power isn't in whether I feel like it. I have to remind myself almost every Sunday, Tim, the power is not in how you feel. The power is in the Word of God. I mean, if I had an axe, let the axe, you're cutting down a tree, let the axe, let the mower, whatever it is, let the, let the tool do the work. Sometimes we strive and try to make something happen when I just need to let the Word do the work and be faithful to that. So today, we're going to draw some encouragement from John in regards to this theme of assurance to not have doubt and it's going to relate to the assurance of the believer in regards to prayer. We're going to look at two parts of this today, just to kind of get some handle. We're going to, one, look at the principle of prayer, and then secondly, 
the perplexity of unanswered prayer, because that's always an issue. But notice the principle of prayer that he just kind of lays out here. Verse 14, he says that when we pray, God hears us. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so again, this is part of John giving us confidence that the relationship with God and Christ That is the basis of why we can have that assurance that when we pray, that God hears us. And he uh, uh, repeats this of something he said earlier in 1 John chapter 3. Look back at 1 John 3, 21 and 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Meaning that if our heart doesn't condemn us in the sense that we don't belong to him, but if if our heart, uh, if we know, it doesn't mean we're... If we have conviction of sin, that's the work of the Spirit. But we know by the inner witness of the Holy Spirit that we have this confidence before God that whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. We are walking, the trajectory of our Christian life is that we are walking in conformity to His will. Again, it doesn't mean we're perfect. We've talked about that in times past in 1 John. But it just means the normality, the trajectory, the walk of our life, the normative aspect is that we are walking in faith and obedience to him. That's the characteristic of our relationship we we have. Now, Jesus presumes that this prayer life should be not just something is an option, but should be characteristic of those who claim to follow him. Do you remember back in Matthew 6 at the Sermon on the Mount uh, when Jesus talked about prayer? Notice just how he presumes that followers of him, those who are in relationship with him, and he's teaching his disciples, are people who pray. When he says in Matthew 6 verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and you shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. Do you see? He doesn't just say, now, if you want to pray, I hope you pray. He just assumes that the characteristic of a person who claims to be in fellowship and relationship with God in him is someone who prays. And if we do not pray, listen to me, if we do not pray, and it's very fundamental aspect, it shows that we are not trusting in God for the needs in our life, and we are relying on ourselves. We're just saying, God, I don't need your help. And then every once in a while, we approach prayer, kind of like the emergency, you know, uh, little box, you know, in buildings, break in case of a fire, you know, and you pull the emergency uh, phone out or the emergency uh, whatever it is, extinguisher or whatever. We just kind of look at prayer as kind of the last resort, Right? When you've done everything and exhausted all you can do, we're like, well, you know, I guess I can pray. Um, Arnie, I think you reminded me of that joke of somebody that, you know, was talking about their problems and something wasn't met and they couldn't do anything. And the old boy says, well, I guess we just need to pray. And the other guy says, oh my goodness, has it come to that? Notice some things in just pulling out from this passage here. Five things 
on the principle of prayer, on this promise of prayer. Verse 14, number one, we should have confidence when we approach God in prayer. This is the confidence. This is the confidence. We're not relying on ourselves. We have confidence in God. We're not relying on ourselves, but when we pray, we're acknowledging to God our finiteness, our limitation. God, I don't know everything. He already knows it, right? But we're acknowledging that my confidence is in God. I love Hebrews 4.16, familiar to many of you. Look at Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How do we get that confidence? We get that confidence based upon what we celebrated last week, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the veil of the temple, access to God, now is open and free to those who are washed in the blood of Christ, who are in Christ. So our confidence is in Him. We lean on a sovereign God who controls all things. If I didn't believe in the sovereignty of God, and I just hope that God has got this, and God knows more than I do. If God, you know, some people, some people have bought into an idea, some, uh, some ideas that are floating around in so-called Christian academia, that God learns stuff just like us, that he doesn't know everything, that he is still processing, that he can't know the future. He is totally bound by whatever man free will can do. He just doesn't know. Let me tell you something. It was by the determined counsel and purpose of God, Acts chapter 2, Peter's sermon, that Jesus was crucified by the will of God. Yes, by the hands of sinful men, but the sovereignty of God prevailed in the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. You better be glad God knows everything from the beginning to the end and every particular in between because if you're praying to a God that doesn't know much more than you do and somebody can thwart and trump whatever he decides, right, then you better, you're in trouble. We're in trouble. And so we pray. You know, every time J.I. Packer said this in his book on evangelism and the sovereignty of God, he says, you know, whether you understand this truth or not, Every time a Christian bows their knee in prayer where they're praying and putting this need before God, they're acknowledging the sovereign rule of God. Whether you understand that theological truth or not. Because, my friend, why pray? Why pray if God, if you're you're asking God to do something that you can't do and maybe humanly nobody else can do. You're asking God to sovereignly intervene or control, but if you don't believe in a God who is in control, then why pray? Secondly, we must come into His presence when we pray. I have the New American Standard of verse 14. Again, this is the confidence which we have before Him. Before Him, when we pray, we are coming into His presence. Prayer is not a mindless rattling through a list, checking off the box. Well, I'm supposed to pray for the missionaries. I'm supposed to pray for the pastor. I'm supposed to pray for this. Just check, check, check. Got my list done. That's, that's it. That kind of mindless prayer, that's not prayer. 
any more than somebody would just talk to you and read a, rattle off a list to you of, of requests and information. Prayer is a relationship, and one of the things that Jesus Christ has secured by, the, by his death, burial, and resurrection is he has secured a permanent relationship, a permanent place for us to enter into the very presence of God, like we read in Hebrews 4.16. When we pray, we're entering into the presence of God. We are speaking with and to a person. Romans 5.2 says, through him, through Christ, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. A.W. Tozer said this, and I have the quote on the screen. A.W. Tozer, one of the wonderful writers that I would encourage you to familiarize yourself. Listen to what Tozer said. Sometimes I go to God and say, God, if thou dost never answer another prayer while I live on this earth, I will still worship thee as long as I live and in the ages to come for what thou hast done already. Think about that. He says, God's already put me so far in debt that if I were to live one million millenniums, I couldn't, I couldn't pay him for what he's done for me. You see, sometimes we go on a, on a kind of a relationship strike because God hasn't answered you or me by the case of what we think he should do. So we're just going like to go give him the silent treatment, right? Listen, if you're a, if you're a Christian... If you've been born again, if God did nothing else for you but give you eternity, give you an eternal place and relationship in Him, that is enough. That is sufficient. That would have been a good place for an amen. amen. Thank you. I'll just amen myself. We must come to God first in worship. And if we haven't come to God first in worship, we have not prayed. Remember Jesus, the first stanza of the, the disciples' prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, holy, hallowed be thy name. Isn't that the, before we get to the other, it starts with relationship. Our Father, my Father, who are holy. It starts with that relationship of who God is. Thirdly, we must come confidently into this present presence and ask. James 4.2 says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet it and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So many times I've struggled with something and just the Holy Spirit and grace says, but you know, you've never asked God. You just presume on God. You've never really asked God for this need. You've never really sought God for this area, and, and absolutely. You see, James 4.3 goes on to say, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We are to ask, not demand or presume. We are to ask. You know, there's this idea that some have peddled that, you know, we are just to go in and declare and demand our rights before God. That's nonsense. 
My children don't come in to my house and say, I demand a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I have a right as your bloodline. Say, what are you drinking? You know, what are are you on? You know what they do? They go in, open the bread, make their own sandwich, right? Why? Because they're in their father's house, right? I don't have to go in and declare my rights. You know who I have to declare them oftentimes? I need to remind myself of the privileges I have in Christ, right? Number four, if we ask anything, the fourth aspect of this promise is that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Since God hears everything, God knows even the unspoken secrets of our hearts. Jesus said at one place that even before we ask, your Father knows what you need. But we are still called to ask. And so we know that He hears us favorably because of the relationship, not because we've earned it, not because we went to church that, that day, we bought, some, we bought some credits for the coming week. You know, sometimes people look at that kind of relationship with God. You know, I tithe, I went to church, so I've got 20 credits this week for God to do good things in my life. And so I skipped the last two weeks, so God's mad at me, everything's going to, you know, and I need to earn some more credits. You ever have something where you, you get so many credits and you can use those credits to buy something or whatever? That's the way sometimes people relate to God. No, God, by relationship in Christ, hears everything and is predisposed to hear us and answer us according to his will. That we need to know that God hears the cry of his, of his kids and his children. I've been in church meetings, you have too, and there's noise and kids yelling and everything going on. And a mother will jump up and run into the other room. Why? Because of out, out of all that cacophony of noise, I just wanted to say that word, cacophony of noise, She heard her child. God hears you. And you may have come today and you said, you know, I'm not even sure of God's love for me. I'm not even sure God even is even paying attention to me. That is a lie. That is a lie from hell. God loves you as his child and hears our needs and wants us to ask what is according to his will. And he hears us. And fifthly, if we know... If we know and have confidence that he hears us, then the scripture says in verse 15, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Now, this is is a little tricky. Stay with me. The idea of verse 15 is that we know that we presently have whatever we ask in accordance to his will. Now, here's the deal. We might not actually see it for some time. But you remember Abraham was given a promise of a son and he didn't see the fulfillment of that sure promise for 25 years. We're like, God, if you don't answer me in the next hour, I'm moving on. I prayed and prayed. That means you asked him twice yesterday and now you're ready to abandon God and he doesn't love you and you're going to go and join the Scientologists now because you're just giving up. You've just given up. Who are you trusting to meet that promise? And part of it is, is knowing, and we'll talk about this in the unanswered prayer portion in just a moment, but sometimes 
In God's purpose and wisdom, God delays answers to our prayers. But we have to know sometimes, there, you know, in Luke 18, it talks about a persistence in prayer. And there's times in which we pray with a persistence in prayer. And then there's other times, and there's no, there's no scale or model for this. Then there are other times we pray and we just leave it with God. We just leave it with God. He doesn't need to be reminded. Right? We do that, don't we? We, we just, we like God, you know, pray for sister so-and-so. She lives at 3242 Main Street, you know, the, the blue house, you know, the little tree. God doesn't need information. He doesn't learn anything. And so sometimes we pray with a persistence. When your child is sick, when you have a loved one who needs a touch from God, you're going to pray with a persistence, even though in that persistence you know that it's not my will be done, but thy will be done. But nevertheless, you pray with a, with a tenacity and a persistence. But then there are times we pray and we just say, God, I'm just going to leave it with you. I'm going to stop fretting over this. I'm going to stop worrying about how you're going to put all this together. I just trust you to do it in your way, in however way you want to do it. We have confidence in him. But there's a qualifier in verse 4. Verse 14 that I want us to look at, the promise, but there's a qualification here. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that that if we ask anything according to what? His will, he hears us. His will, that he hears us. Now, there are many who uh, say that they pray to God, but they're they're not believers, they're not Christians. So we know that really God is... Not, I don't want to say not hearing, and, and though he's incom- able to hear, but, but they're not seeking God's will in prayer because the first will of God is for them to be born again, right? But for believers, we are praying. We're not praying trying to manipulate God, trying to use him to get what we want. And there's, there's that mindset that if God doesn't, Deliver like a bellhop. I'm rang the bell. I've rang heaven. And if God doesn't deliver what I've asked him to do, then you know what? I'm done with it. There's something wrong. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. Biblical prayer is not trying to talk God into giving us what we want. It's kind of like fasting. Some people look at fasting Instead of, a, instead of the biblical purpose of fasting, which is the denial of one of the fundamental needs of our body, which is food, right? That I am gonna, I'm going to deny myself in order for me to be more focused in my time with God. Fasting is not going on a hunger strike to get God to do something you want. Well, God, I'm just not going to eat. You're not going to do it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to starve. God's like, go for it. Starve. I'm still not going to do it because I know more than you do. So prayer is not me trying to manipulate God. Me in prayer fundamentally is submitting, listen to this, is I'm submitting to his will. Jesus said in Matthew 6.10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And besides, why would you want to pray for your will as opposed to 
to God's will. We don't know everything there is to know about things. God knows everything. We submit to Him. We pray for His will for my life. But see, the difficulty is, is how do we determine what God's will is so that we pray in line with it? This is a, uh, this is a strategic key, to, I believe, in, in understanding prayer. To pray, listen, to pray according to God's will is to pray in accord with what He would want, not what we would desire or insist that He would do for us. John 14, give you an example. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What's the key phrase there? In my name. Now, some people think that using the name of Jesus is just like a mantra. Well, I said in Jesus' name, that's kind of like the magic word. No, 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 no. To pray in Jesus' name for anything means that Jesus can endorse, put his name on that request. So if you're praying and you're married for God to give you another wife, here's here's a news flash. That is not something Jesus will endorse. Now, you may say, oh, it's nothing that. No, but can what you're praying, because notice also in that verse that the Father may be glorified. Is this prayer that you're praying, is this request and this need that you're praying, look at me, is this need that you're praying for, is it something that Jesus can sign his name to that is consistent with his revealed will, that is consistent with glorifying God, and something that you and I probably don't know anything about is that the Bible speaks about a secret will of God. There are things in God's hidden will for our lives that we may and usually are never privy to. Look at Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. There are things that only God knows. And so the Bible, a principle that I believe is important, is that fundamentally the will of God, the known will of God, is the Word of God. That is the pattern that provides principles by which we live. And there's certain things we know clearly. We don't have to go to counseling to know this is what God says about this issue. All right? That's what God says. That's the Word of God. And if you accept the Word of God as the will of God, you're walking in obedience and conformity. But there are a lot of things that we struggle with in life that are not specified in Scripture. Listen, God gives you principles to make what, I, what, it, what we can call non-moral decisions. Okay, listen. Principles to make non-moral decisions. God's will, 
There's no scripture that will tell you whether you should wear Nikes or Reeboks. There's a freedom, I believe, in the will and purpose of God that we operate in biblical principles. And there's a lot of unknown specific things that we walk in knowing that God, you watch over me, you protect me. My conscience is wanting to do this in a right way to exercise good stewardship, to exercise whatever it is. You know, now there may be some discussion here between those who love Fords and Chevrolets, but I'm really not sure God really cares. Okay? Can you be a good steward with his resources? Are you going to be in a payment plan for the next, you know, 70, 80 months? Right? I don't think that's good stewardship. Good stewardship, those are the principles. And so, God, how, I, how do I take these biblical principles and align them with the specifics of things in my life? And then I do those things and I walk in them knowing that God loves me and watches out for me. And even though I might be walking in the known revealed will that I have understanding, I also know that God knows more than I do, and God always has my back, and God will protect me even when I believe I'm exercising good judgment. Does that make sense? Instead of being all wrapped up in whether I'm going to go to Popeye's or Zaxby's today. Now you laugh, but there are people that fret over such minutia of decisions that they just, they just they misunderstand what the will and purpose of, of God is. God has, there's no, there, there's, God has revealed how to live, how to walk, how to act. God has revealed his will on how I'm to love my brother, my sister in the faith. How I'm to forgive. God has revealed how I'm to walk in moral character and uprightness. Those are clear things that God has shown and given to us in his word. And so when somebody comes to me for counseling and they are dating and, and getting ready to marry an unbeliever, I can open the word and say, that is not the will of God. But I love him. That is not the will of God if you are a Christian. Because if you are sucked into the idea that he is going to eventually, somebody you're going to convert, let me tell you something. Those stories never work out in that direction. And there's a lot of heartache of people that if they had followed the Christians, I'm talking about, the revealed word of God, they would have avoided a lot of heartache and a lot of sadness. That's something that is a revealed will of God. Now, whether this Christian and you're a believer and there's all these things, well, listen, I mean, if, if you believe in faith and there's no known, I mean, you know, you just by faith have to sometimes walk it out. And, and know that God, I'm going to walk this out. I'm going to make this decision because there's nothing alerting me scripturally. There's no counsel from spiritual leaders in the church that is telling me different. So I believe in faith that I'm, I'm walking in your, your purpose and will, knowing that if I'm walking into something that even to the my best of my ability... I don't know everything. I know God. You can protect me and watch out for me. So the promise of prayer. But look with me at the perplexity of unanswered prayer. 
Because that's where sometimes we struggle the most, right? In unanswered prayer. I want to share with you just briefly, we've just got a few minutes, and some points from a sermon. I have not preached any sermon twice in seven and a half years. And I'm technically not doing it today. I'm just pulling a few things out (laughs) that I used the second Sunday I was here. (laughs) All right? So... But this is, uh, this, is, uh, uh, this is an original with me, but I've always found this real helpful. Four concepts, four principles that I believe are helpful as we, as we wrestle with unanswered prayer, all right? And uh, number one, just simple things. If the request is wrong, God will say no. The qu- request might be inappropriate. Kind of like, God, give me a new wife when I'm already married to one, right? That's ding, wrong, inappropriate, all right? Uh, Yes, God says no. Aren't you glad for the no's in your life when God said no and you look back? Give you an example, Um, and there's several of these. Uh, Just an example. Uh, Remember Peter? Peter and John were with Jesus on that mountain when he was transfigured and they saw his glory. And you remember Peter said, oh, this is great, Jesus. We should build three memorials because they saw Moses and Elijah affirming the identity of Jesus. Great, great passage, Matthew 17. And he said, we should build three memorials, one to Moses, one to Elijah, and Jesus we will put you in the middle. Three right there. And the Bible says, I love this, that while Peter was still speaking. God said, this is my son, hear him. It's like God says, I got to shut that man up. I can't even, I can't even listen to this anymore. I love that. That was an inappropriate request. He said, no. Give me another one. This is on the screen. Remember James and John? By the way, how many of you have watched the Chosen series? You would, I think this was in last week's, right? I think last week's. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, that's all right. Ask somebody, raise their hand. In Luke 9, when the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him. And if you know about Jews and Samaritans, that makes sense. Because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw it, listened to their request. Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I mean, that would be like saying, do you want us to hit the nuclear button on these people? Aren't you? And now, by the way, uh, their mother back in Matthew 20 wanted them to sit on the right and the left of Jesus. Uh, I don't want them around, right? Not, not then. And by the way, this same John is the same John who's writing 1 John, known as the Apostle of Love. The Holy Spirit did a great work in his life. But here, you know, he's a little radical. Do you want us to tell fire to come down? And Jesus, verse 55, turned and rebuked them, said no. That was an inappropriate request. So just the point is, if the request is wrong, God will say no. Thank God for the no's in my life that God is not answered. If the timing is wrong, secondly, if the timing is wrong, God will say, slow. 
The timing of our requests, it may be legitimate, but it may not be God's timing. You know, as, as, as kids and really as adults, we don't like, especially, I remember as a kid, as a child, I never liked hearing, yes, but not yet, not today. Because, you know, time for a child just moves in just so slow, right? Right? And then you get older and it's like in warp speed, right? We don't like hearing not yet, but God says not yet. Uh, that maybe what God is wanting us to do is a Colossians 1.11 says, Be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Endurance and patience. Maybe God is just wanting us to allow that delay for, for something He's trying to work out in our life. Maybe, according to James 1.3, maybe it's part of the testing of faith. For you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. So maybe, again, part of that asking in faith and believing God for something that we believe is in the will of God, maybe that is to produce something. Maybe, again, it's that testing of our faith. I heard Jack Graham this morning as I was uh, getting ready to come here this morning, and I wrote it down. He said, a faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. You see, before you go across that new bridge... You hope that they have tested it beyond the weight that is required. So that you, as you're driving across, as some bridges we have seen in our, in our history, you want to make sure it has been tested and tried and true. I like that. A faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. Testing of your faith. Sometimes God wants us to modify our request. Do you remember in school when you might have written a paper and the teacher was nice and gave it back to you and said, rewrite it before I grade it. And you did a rewrite. Sometimes God wants you to modify, pray about that need. So sometimes the answer might be right, but it says, the Lord just says the timing is wrong, so God says go slow. Thirdly, if you are wrong, sometimes God will say grow. Sometimes if you're wrong, God will say grow. Sometimes prayers are delayed or unanswered because there may be areas in your life that God is, that you want, that need to, to, to get in alignment. Give me an example. Matthew 5, 23 through 24 from the New Living Translation. Here's an example. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, we don't have altars and temples, but the principle is there, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, the, the sacrifice, the offering is good, but you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then, you see the growing? Then you come and you offer your sacrifice to God. Sometimes the areas in where we're wrong and God is tap, telling us and is tapping the brakes is because there's some sinful areas in our life. There's some unconfessed sins. Isaiah 59.2 says, It's your sins that have cut you off from God. It is your sins that has cut you off from God. Because of your sins, He has turned away and will not listen anymore. Now we know the truth as new covenant believers of 1 John 1.9 if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us 
from unrighteousness. So if the request is wrong, God will say no. If the timing is wrong, God will say slow. If you and I are wrong, God will say grow. There may be areas. But fourthly, when the request is right, the timing is right, and my heart is right, God will say, let's go. Unanswered prayer, when the request is right, God's timing is right, my heart is right, these things are in alignment, God wants, contrary to what you may think, God is not up there looking for ways to frustrate your life. Some people think that God is just, you know, that he's, you know, he's just throwing down little things for us to trip. You know, like, God, why have you brought all this on to me? Why have you made my life so complicated? God wants you to have a faith that is living and vital, that living hope that, as Jesus said, he wants you to have a faith that can look at the mountains in your life and say, be thou removed in Jesus' name. This is not just a cognitive, intellectual pursuit of Christianity. This is a living reality of hope that God wants us to walk in that sense of, of, of walking in a victory. God wants you to walk in a victory, a victory in which he is orchestrating and in control of our lives. Paul said in Romans 8.31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? You know, unanswered prayer, all of us struggle. And sometimes unanswered prayer, I, I'm convinced, we, we, many unanswered prayers that we prayed, we may never really know why they weren't answered. We may just never know. We say, well, maybe... God will let us know in eternity. I just have a suspicion it won't matter in eternity. I think we will be somewhat wholly distracted and worrying about some of the things that happen down here. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see things. Now, right now, we see things imperfectly. Like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then... But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then, speaking of eternity, in the presence of Christ, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. There's a little poem that I keep in my Bible that has always encouraged me, and I just want to close by reading it. So if you could just give me your attention, read like this. It's called, He Maketh No Mistake by A.M. Overton. My Father's way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache. But in my soul, I'm glad I know He maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray. My hopes may fade away. But still I'll trust my Lord to lead, for he doth know the way. Though night be dark and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him. He maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see. My eyesight's far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift, 
and plain it all he'll make. Though all the way, though dark to me, he made not one mistake. That's Romans 8.28, that we know for those who love God, that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to His purpose. Let's pray.